For most of humanity, there's been a system of government where a small minority rules over the people. From emperors to monarchs to oligarchs, the will of the people, the desire for self-determination has been repressed. A group of visionaries envisioned a nation ruled by its citizens, one where leaders were chosen by its people to be held accountable. Hence, the United States of America was born. That dream of democracy has been defiled. We find today, our nation is run by a minority not held accountable to its people. Instead, special interests and money are the driving forces of our government. At Candidates Platform, we look to restore that vision. Our goal is twofold, to educate voters on the issues of the candidates running for local and state office, and to give the citizen the opportunity to run for office by having a simple, intuitive, cost-effective place to manage their campaign. Let's work together to restore democracy to the people. Hello, hello. This is Diego signing on to the CP Show. Hope everyone is having a fantastic Saturday night. It's been a crazy week in the political world, and we have a lot to talk about. We have a great, very special show for you guys tonight. It's actually our 10th show we've done, and so we're dedicating the show to all about the 10th Amendment and states' rights. But first, how are you doing, Kathleen? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you very much. Um, down on the border and dealing with technological differences. But, hey, that's <laughs> what it's all about, you know? It really makes um, you uh, kind of realize how much you get used to technology running really smoothly in, like, the big cities. But then you go into the rural communities, and sometimes it can be a totally different story. Well, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a big city right now, and my <laughs> Internet went out. So I'm on my phone. It's definitely it seems like it's just not the day for uh, not the day for the internet to work. <laughs> and, and you know, but, it is kind of cool. It's kind of cool that you said it was the tenth show, and now we're going to do it on the tenth amendment because I find it all very, you know, um, the tenth amendment very intriguing in these times and days. But I do want to remind the audience that we have. Uh, please call in and um, give us your opinion or what you would like to discuss or your input on the 10th Amendment, and you can do that by calling 888-627-6008 or directly by calling 323-744-4841. Again, 888-627-6008. Yeah, and... I mean, I think it's really interesting because if you're going over the Tenth Amendment, um, you know, basically what it's all about is anything the Tenth Amendment to the, uh, the federal government to the state. It would read exactly how it's not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And so... Generally, what that's saying is that if the Constitution does not enumerate the federal government with the power specifically, it's then to the state power. And, you know, it's been a big issue, and I think what a lot of people think is, okay, well, you know, your, your local and your state election, that's where you're voting on, you know. What stage, what should we do with the school budget, and what should we 
do with, you know, the streets and the roads and the kind of day-to-day, you know, day-to-day things, but it's not where people think of the big debate, whether these, you know, these big national debates that are all over there. Everyone thinks, oh, well, that's the federal government. And to a degree it is, but really when it comes down to how it's parceled out in your daily life, it's really still the states and your local municipalities that decide those things for you. And we're kind of going to delve into that on a variety of issues today. Right. And I I think as I was looking up what the Tenth Amendment was all about, I started reading a little bit about the history, um, the Constitution and the Federalists, you know, who felt that why would you want to have a Bill of Rights? Because that was another thing, I guess, when they ratified the Constitution, a lot of the states wanted to have a Bill of Rights to ensure that people were protected. And the Federalists felt like, hey, well, you know, why do we even want to mention that? Why do we even want to state that and give it power when we left it out, this like kind of Bill of Rights? Then it would be no question that it wasn't something that the government could do. But this... Oh, well, I think we lost you there while we... Uh, I'll kind of cut in while, um, while we gain that figured out. But I think what, basically what she's trying to, uh, the point she was getting at is that, you know, you're kind of going back into history. We had the Articles of Confederation, and, and then we say basically wasn't working, so we then created a draft of the Constitution. And there was a big argument between Federalists um, on, on, basically, they a lot of people thought that the Constitution gave the federal government and the one, the executive leader of that, the president, too much power. And, and there was a lot of worry that we're just going to go, we traded one king for a new one. Um, and so that's kind of where the, the Bill of Rights kind of started. And, and, you know, obviously, and I like to think, I think that they did it in order of importance. So obviously the First Amendment is kind of the, the one that is basically what our entire freedoms are based on, probably the most important one. And then, you know, the second one being the right to preserve that through the use of force, through the ownership of weapons, and so on, so so on, and then I think the tenth one is kind of the most interesting because it's the most forgotten about, in my opinion. But it's also the most encompassing and the most powerful because basically what it does is it gives, you know, everything, every power that's not stated directly in the Constitution back to the state. So anything that isn't mentioned, and and, and that's huge going when you look in, in the future because you know the Constitution doesn't really deal with things that it doesn't know about that don't exist at the point in time 1776. So they would never know. So those things all get regulated to the state. I think a really big one is, I mean, and kind of the most obvious one is, you know, gun, the gun control debates and gun rights and gun ownership versus, you know, regulation and gun control. And the basically, you know, the, the thing is, is that the federal the Constitution does guarantee the right to bear arms. And for the federal per federal law, you know, those things generally does uphold it, obviously with some caveats. And so I think a lot of times people, when they're going to vote, when they're thinking of gun control, they're really thinking of, okay, well, who's my senator and who's my, you know, who am I voting for president? Because they're the ones that are going to vote in Congress whether or not to, you know, pass it or, you know, what we're going to have. And in a general sense, yes, the government does have the ability to pass legislation but no matter what, no matter what legislation that passes, it always really comes down to how states decide to implement it. Um, a, a really perfect example is that there's uh, Texas, actually, is 
um, on its way to become a uh, constitutional carry state, which means you don't need any licensing or any um, kind of permits or anything like that to have a weapon. You can just basically have it on you, um, and there's no no one can do anything about it outside of certain places like banks and federal building courthouses and stuff like that. And other states like in New York, for example, and New York City in particular, it is crazy how hard it is to get into the um, to to get it done. I mean, you have to go through permits and background checks, and and so you have this one law and you have this one federal thing that says you know it's a, you can have them, but really it's the states that are going to allow you to have them or not have them, and so that. Um, that's something that people really need to think about when they're looking at who they're voting for on the, you know, on, um, for their local and their, their state representatives, because that's what's going to pass. I mean, another big thing is, is that uh, in Arizona, for example, they passed a thing that said, um, you're, for, regarding guns, that the state will not help any federal, if gun control passes, the state's not going to, you know, enforce any of it. So the federal agents will have to do it, but the state won't, no state forces will. And so that's the kind of stuff that really, you know, yes, federally, that's what, who passes gun control, but it's, it's who you vote for on the state level that's going to either keep it or, you know, not, they're not going to follow the rules, stuff like that. And that's just, I mean, just, that's just specifically gun control. I think we're going to go over uh, quite a few different, um, quite a few different things that basically states, you know, everyone thinks is this big national issue and really it comes down to it states issues and what states are so um kind of going into a, another one is um is, is a, kind of another really hot button topic is uh, abortion that's another really big one and that goes into you know will uh obviously we have Roe vs. Wade and that allows abortions to happen but in some states, you know, you go to states like Louisiana, some states in the South, as well as some of the Midwest, it's almost like there really isn't, abortion really isn't legal. It's very, very, very hard to get. It's very, very, very prohibitive. Um, there are a lot of restrictions to it. So it's, you can only get an abortion within a certain time period or, or within a certain, um, uh, under certain reasons. And so it's, again, and that's, again, really when it comes down to it, States. So, you know, you can be in a state like California or New Jersey or, or New York or Washington state, and those states basically say, you know, you can have abortions really late. And it's like, you know, up to a week before uh, before birth. And then other states basically have it where it's, you know, it's almost impossible to get an abortion. And we keep approaching these issues on a federal level. We need to outlaw, um, outlaw abortion federally, or we need to, you know, make it the right on a level but really if you are let's say pro-life or pro-choice you know what you would be focusing on is those states those state assemblies those state con um, congresses the state houses the governorship because those are the people that ultimately will say what access you get to um to abortion and so there's just a, a, a huge litany of um of, of things that you can really look at um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go on a quick break. I think we're going to try and get some of these technical issues fixed. Um, stay with us for one sec, and we'll be right back.
government is just so big and, you know, it's so difficult. Once these politicians become, get into power, it's very difficult to get on a one-on-one basis with them and tell them what you feel. So when you're talking about how it impacts, I mean, let's look at the, all the COVID issues, right? How states were having lockdowns, closing their schools, other states were not, which also contributed to, I think, a lot of people moving after this whole COVID pandemic issue. People were realizing the different states' powers, you know, California versus Texas, Arizona versus New York, and kind of deciding, maybe I don't want to live in that state anymore because of how the state is taking powers, taking their rights back. So the question is, you know, our founders didn't want the government to become so powerful that, you know, they, that, that we the people no longer had influence there. Yet the states have been reacting to, like, let's say, Donald Trump by taking their power and say, okay, listen, under the 10th Amendment, we have the right as a state to decide we're going to do this way. So it's kind of a very interesting evolution of kind of what's been happening, states versus national right, you know, federal rights. Um, and then when it comes down to it, the people's power, the people's rights, because really when they wrote, when the, the Bill of Rights and they ratified the Constitution, many, many states and many of these founders thought that that had to be put in, that people would forget 
that when it came down to the bottom line, it's up to us, the people. We're the ones that have the power. So in, in thinking of how Canada's platform and what we want to do, I think more and more now I'm feeling that it's more and more important for local and state elections because that is kind of where the power could end up being. That's Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think for me, really, the first, you know, that I remember, obviously wasn't the first one, but the first thing that I remember of states kind of pushing back against the federal government was with the uh, expansion of Obamacare and how a lot of, or, or the expansion of Medicare with Obamacare and how a lot of states basically said, you know, no, we don't want it. We don't find this constitutional. And that was the first time, you know, you, know, you kind of were obviously more uh, were active. I was younger when this happened. But that was the first time when I realized that, you know, the federal government has the ability to do things, to, to enact laws, but it's really to the states on whether or not they actually do anything with those laws. So that is why it's even more important to know who you're electing to your state legislatures. Because, and, and you know, then this comes to my mind right now, recently with this, what do they call it, cultural diversity, racism, is that what it's called? CRV? I call it CRT. CRT. Uh, cultural, critical race. Critical race, critical race theory. And recently, I guess this is something that has been enacted in California. And that's basically, from what I gather, kind of teaching, in a sense, white people, how they have been the perpetuated this racism. Is that correct? Am I saying it correctly? Um, I, it, 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 in a way, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely more broad than that. Um, I think that's, you know, that's definitely a, a simplified take on it, but I mean, it's, I, I am not a fan of it by any way, but it's definitely a little bit more nuanced. But yeah, I, I get what your, what your point is. So recently, uh, a mom, there was a, a school board meeting in, I think it was Peoria, Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix, where a California mom had moved to California because she had seen what was going on with this, this CRT and really was against it. So she spoke out at the school board meeting how she wanted them not to embrace this, that it damaged, it caused more racial uh, diversion, or, or what I want to say, um, it created more separatism than it brought people together. And then I realized that I heard that later that the state of legislature in Arizona had, or the House had passed it, that this was going to be taught in the schools. And I realized how very, very important it is for people to realize that it's the local stuff and it's your state stuff that really is kind of um, fueling all these ideas or all these new policies. And if we as citizens and as voters don't start realizing that this is kind of a job we have to undertake, we have to really take this seriously on who we're, who we're electing in these positions, and we have to stay involved. You can't just vote, put them into the House or the Senate, State House, Senate, Senate and then walk away from it. And that's what's happening. So as I sit here, I'm thinking, my gosh, this is going so fast. And people don't even realize that these kinds of things are happening because we're not paying attention. And you're yeah. right. States are getting more, you know, it, like, 
every state is different. I think that it's interesting now to see the flow of where people are going. They're moving. I mean, I don't know too many people who are moving to liberal. Maybe one or two are living back, moving to more liberal states. But I know so many people who are moving to more conservative states because of the way the states are handling issues like the lockdown, the pandemic, taxes, um, social issues. And that, to me, could be a real problem. Now, what I see happening in Arizona, I think I heard 250 people from California move to Arizona a day. And every minute, there's a new resident who's filing for residency. Now, people who have been here in the state and are used to it running a certain way, things could be changing if you're not paying attention. So, I mean, what do you think about that, Diego? Um, well, I mean, I think that's kind of the the exact point of it is that, you know, I think we get, we get so bogged down by the federal national elections, by the president, by the senators, and... And I think a big part of that is that's what draws in the views and that's what draws in the attention. Um, and so you have, I think, people who, I think you genuinely have people who are very one side on an issue um, and they vote for the president. So let's say, you know, for sake of it, they're a, a, a pro 2A person and they'll vote for the president, um, who the Republican president is also pro 2A and, you know, the, the Republican senator. And then when it comes down to the local election, you know, they vote in, you know, judges and then they vote in, you know, city council council members. And those are people, and, and they have no clue what their position on, you know, the Second Amendment is. And so you can be voting for, you know, for some, for something that you, you can basically be voting for someone who's against your, your ideological preferences, your political party and your interests. And so that's the big issue that I think we run into is that, more or less, everyone you know understands where the big guys are on policy, but we really need people to pay more attention to where the, everyone else, all the smaller. I mean, it's, and it's a huge number. I think people don't realize that when it comes to who's elected, you know, the federal election is only like 0.05 percent of all elected offices to be run. Ninety ninety six percent of it is local, with like four percent being state. It's all in local and state elections. Those are the people that are really affecting your daily life. And those are the people that have all the power. I mean, we said it when you were, when you were gone. The Tenth Amendment basically gives every power that's not listed in the Constitution to the states. And if you think about it, a lot of new issues have come up since 1776. So all of those things really have gone, for the most part, to the states. Well... It's also interesting that, you know, I think what happened when this, the national government became so strong was when it got involved in the issue of the economy because it became probably the best one. It was able as a national government to protect everyone during, like, you know, after the Depression. And mm-hmm. so they became more power. They were giving more broader powers because they could were better apt to handle the economy across the board. And so I think now it's interesting to look at how the Supreme Court definitely does support states' rights over a federal government. And I guess my point is, is that 
I'm just seeing us at like a brink of a huge change. We either are going to become states within a national government that are powerful or our national government will become more powerful that it becomes overcome state rights. And so then the question we have to think about is what about people's rights, our people's rights? Now, we have to be more involved and we have to get educated and we have to stay involved. So it's interesting when you were talking about gun rights, right? Some states, like Arizona, I guess what, you can carry a gun now anywhere, right, without having to have a permit? Uh, yeah, so so in some states, like I said, Texas was just passed. I think there's about 12 states now with constitutional carry. So you can basically carry a gun um, unloaded, obviously. Uh, you can just basically carry a gun um, anywhere you want. There's no permits or anything like that required. That's, and then there are many states like New York, right? Like, And, and I, I, I do think I have to agree... But you have to think about where you are, and maybe I, I've always said that if I, living in New York City, if I had had a gun, there were several people I probably would have, out of emotion, used it on. So in a place where you have a lot of people, it's very heavily populated. Having a gun may not be the best thing, but then if you live out in rural Arizona, say, or in small towns where you have to travel lonely roads. It does make sense to be able to carry a gun. So I don't think that the government, national government, is fit to be able to have this one blanket kind of law that impacts everyone across the board. And then that's the whole issue of how it it, uh, breaches, I guess, the First Amendment. Um, We have to be able to look at things differently and with common sense to understand how best these laws will fit because not all laws are equal in how they're applied to people and in their and their situation. Uh, that's really, I think, you hit the nail on the head. Is that it's we're a mass, we're a big country. You know, we are we are one of the big, we're top ten competitive countries. We're a big country that almost all parts of are, are pretty well populated with very different people and different ways of life, and we cover very different you know uh, climates and and everything like that, and it's really hard to make laws that, you know, make sense for, you know, someone in West Virginia, you know, rural West Virginia, and someone in, you know, um, you know, Southside Chicago, and then someone in Miami City, and then someone in, you know, uh, Bar Harbor, Maine, all those places, there's going to be things that need to be kind of tailor-made, and that's, I think, really the big thing about the states is that, the Maine can have a is more cohesive or more homogenous as a as a place than the United States is, and that's the same thing with with you know any state is that it's all going to be basically you know the laws that pertain to that state are going to make a lot more sense, and to have kind of these one size fits all laws like you said, where you know I, I think open carry would be insane in Chicago or New York or. Um, you know, Baltimore or something like that. I mean, that that would be a very dangerous, very uh, unsafe, unsafe thing. But you know, in you know Amarillo, Amarillo, Texas, it makes a lot more sense. So I think that's that's really the, and I think that's what the founding fathers had in 
minds even way back then, when there's only 13 um, states, was that, you know, what works in Georgia probably doesn't work in New Hampshire or in, in Maine or in New York State. Exactly. And, and with that said, I think we should take uh, this moment to go to intermission and uh, I can enact my phone and I think I can get back on in a, <laughs> in a better internet connection. And um, please come back with us and, and listen and bring us your ideas. Please don't forget to call 888-627-6008. For most of humanity, there's been a system of government where a small minority rules over the people. From emperors to monarchs to oligarchs, the will of the people, the desire for self-determination has been repressed. A group of visionaries envisioned a nation ruled by its citizens, one where leaders were chosen by its people to be held accountable. Hence, the United States of America was born. That dream of democracy has been defiled. We find today, our nation is run by a minority not held accountable to its people. Instead, special interests and money are the driving forces of our government. At Candidates Platform, we look to restore that vision. Our goal is twofold, to educate voters on the issues of the candidates running for local and state office, and to give the citizen the opportunity to run for office by having a simple, intuitive, cost-effective place to manage their campaign. Let's work together to restore democracy to the people. One thing the government probably could do, the national government, is ensure that there's connectivity on the Internet throughout the United States. That might be one thing that the national government could do versus the states. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> but other than that, you know, um, it was interesting because when I was reading about how the national government has actually grown, basically due to commerce issues, at the same time they were t- talking about how states like New York are much better at controlling banks. So I think that we as citizens don't really think or give much attempt to thinking about the different things that the national government could do good versus what the states could do better and vice versa. Because, you know, that takes like a lot of time and effort. And I think what I keep on feeling about what we have become today is kind of very lazy people. We just want to be able to go and vote one day every four years and then not have to think about it. And we're going to have to understand that that's not what we should do or, or you know, that it's going to have real serious issues, which is, I think, where we are today. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's kind of the big thing is that. And it is, and historically, I mean, it has been a lot of work to find, you know, people and who to run and who to vote for and all those things. Because it's, it, it has been a daunting thing to do. And that's really, I think, you know, at the core of what we're trying to fix is we want to make it easier. And, and Canada's platform basically would create a place for everything to to go through so that, you know, you, 
you only have to vote one day and you only have to research one day. And um, you can get all that in, all your information right in one place and everything you need to know. And, and, it's, and it's just a great tool for you if you want to delve, delve deeper into it and learn more and more about it. And then, and then obviously I would like then for the people who are just researching to then one day run. And I think that's our entire mission statement is just to make it easier to understand and easier to run so that we can get people out there to at the state level, at the local level, to enact the best laws. Right. And I think we have to realize as a voter that things that happen in your big cities are not going to be as effective or helpful in your smaller communities or in your rural areas. And so we're going to have to be much more mindful. You know, mind, being mindful is like a, uh, the key word now. You're mindful about being grateful. You're mindful about um, saying thank you. You're mindful about being a better person. You need to be mindful about being another, a better citizen who votes and takes the time. Because to me, it's, we do want to make it more convenient for people to vote that one day every four years. But we also want them to understand as they become educated that this is something that they need to do more often. You know, um, like you were saying, was 96% of all elections are really on the state and local level. And those happen every four, every two years, you know, sometimes less. And so we're going to have to realize if we really want our country to survive that we're going to have to be involved every day because politics is in everything we do. I don't care what anyone says. Care what anyone says. Hello? Yeah. I'm here. Okay. I thought I heard somebody yeah. come on. No. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think it's, um, it is something that we, we can strive for. And I think, you know, it, it is something that has been tough to get into and, 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 tough to reach that point but that being said i think that we're definitely moving to a time overall where information is so much easier to gather i mean i think the, the internet has proven that and and it's really made distributing information uh the, the job of, of the individual as well and you have more and more people able to you know get information out there directly from themselves and, and that's i think the biggest thing is you don't want i think the biggest issue we have is we get the news of on policy issues, on candidates, on people from, you know, from a third party, basically. We hear it from the news or the, or the media or the, you know, television, and it's, we're hearing what they think. And, and I think a really good way to look at it is, you know, in, in law and in the court, that's called hearsay. You can't, you can't use what you've heard about someone from a third party. You have to hear it directly from that person. And I think that's what we need to look at when it comes to politics, is we have to say, well, we won't take hearsay from, you know, the the news or whatever. We want to hear it directly from the candidate. We want to hear it directly from the people proposing the policy. And I think that's when you're going to get much more honest, much more accurate information. Well, that's true. You know, I, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I had a young man in college ask me who he should vote for, and this was for a governor and some local elections and i said well what do you mean he goes well i don't know anything or even in who's running and i said well don't you listen to the news and he says you know kids and millennials and those of the what the, what's the next one gen x is that it gen, gen z 
Gen Z. Um, they do not watch TV. Not that you can get really honest news anymore from the from the cable shows. But I remember reading a, a comment that John F. Kennedy made where an uneducated voter is really harmful to democracy. So I thought about it, and he said, well, should I even vote? And I thought, I hated to tell this young man not to vote because it's all about, I mean, that's all we've ever been told. You vote, you vote, you vote. That's your freedom. That's your right. But are you doing more damage to democracy by being an ignorant voter who goes in and just, you know, rolls a dice or says, oh, I like that name, or makes a guess? Should you uh-huh. be voting? What do you yeah, think? I, yeah, I think it's, that, that that's really the big thing is, is that, and that's where, where our other thing, the Know Your Vote initiative is, is that it's really, it's not just about going there. So that's really half the step of your civic duty is to show up. Do you have to do that? But you have to also, you know, know what, know what you're doing. I mean, it's kind of like a test, you know. The first half of a test is going to the test. But if you go there and don't know any of the material, you know, why did you go? What's, there's really no point. And I think that's the thing with voting is it's great to, to go vote, but if, if you didn't make an educated vote, what did you really accomplish outside of just feeling, I guess, good about yourself for it? And that's with the Know Your Vote initiative as well as with Canada's platform. We just want to make it easy for everyone to get that information. And then, you know, the way I look at it is whoever you vote for, you know, if you if you vote and you know who you voted for, you know why you voted for them, then I'm happy. I'm happy for, for them. And I right. think that's, that's what, you know, ultimately what we want. Well, it's interesting when people ask me what is Canada's platform, I say to them, do you know who ran for your local school board? Or do you know who your county recorder or county supervisor is? And they look at me and they honestly say, no, I don't. And I say, well, that's, that's what Canada's platform would do. It would bring you the knowledge so that you know who you can vote for and where they stood for. And I guess it's just shocking to me as we get more and more into evolving Canada's platform and discussing what it would do, how far away it is from people understanding what they're voting for. I mean, I guess it just has been hitting me really hard lately that most people may know who this, but I would say probably 80% of them don't know who is running for state legislator or for their local you know, offices and and I just kind of find that so embarrassing and, and 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 actually sad because in any other country where voting is such a difficult thing to do or it's not a right people take such interest in finding out who is running for what and voting for them and here we are supposedly the country the leader of the world of the free world and we don't know who is running for these seats that we've been talking about are so important to our taxpayer pocket, who are deciding how our children are going to learn and what they're going to learn, to 
taxes, property taxes. I mean, across the board, local elections impact you so much. Every day, your everyday life is impacted by them, not necessarily the president. And so it's just kind of disheartening. And, I, and I'm hoping that people will embrace the Canada's platform as something that will help them become more educated and more and give them the ability, opportunity to really cast a vote for freedom. And that freedom is deciding who's going to enact these laws that are going to impact you every day. Yeah. I, and I think that's the big thing. And I think, you know, going in kind of something for everyone to think about going into Memorial Day is that, you know, kind of, it's really a, a, a celebration of, of the people, you know, kind of the sacrifices that people have made for the country. And I think when you look at the people, you know, the biggest one being the, the Great War or the, um, or the First World War, is uh, those, those sacrifices that they made was really for us to have a more educated voter base and to know what's going on. And I think we need to honor, you know, looking at it, I really wish everyone would hope everyone will honor those sacrifices by participating, by doing their part in kind of the process. And I really do believe that showing up to vote is hugely important and it is your, your duty, but it's only the first half. And the other half is the follow-through, is to, is to know who you're voting for. Make an educated and well-informed vote. Exactly. And I, and I think you hit it right on the nail by saying, you know, during this memorial weekend, everything is about those people who have lost their lives or paid the price, you know, come back you know, harmed and all that for our freedom. And I think one of the biggest freedoms we have is the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, but the freedom to vote. And so when we all sit here and we see all the posts on Facebook and we, you know, talk about remembering those who have, who have paid the biggest price of all their life to give us our freedom, we have to be able to give that respect back to them and know who we voted for. Yep, absolutely, and I think uh, I think that's really the thing is, is that it's um, kind of as we said, you know, it's, it's the states is where the Tenth Amendment says that on our tenth show for our Tenth Amendment show is that it's really it's the states that have that power, and we need people to vote for the states. We need people to run for state and local office as well, and I think that um, you know there's no better time than right now to do so, and I hope that people will use Canada's platform to do it. Exactly, exactly. Um, so when we think we're talking, I know we don't have too much more time on the show, but um, for the next five or six minutes, I'll go over to about those things that that are, are really important. And I think let's look at freedom of speech, right? That's the First Amendment. And for the mm-hmm. first time, you know, I think ever that I can remember, freedom of speech is really being challenged, you know, um, you're being told that you can't say certain things and you're being told when you can say them and you're being told don't question. So this is something that was part of our Bill of Rights and yet we are citizens are allowing freedom of speech to kind of, I don't finish the importance of everyone being able to say because 
I remember when I was in high school when I was younger, you know, they said, well, you can't go into a theater and yell fire. But if you want to stand on the corner and talk about the demolishment of the, of the United States or whatever, you still had that right to say what you wanted to, and nobody had the right to take it away from you. And I think the founding fathers, if they were seeing what is happening now to our freedom of speech, they would be horrified because they, that was just one of the initial rights that they all felt, who all of them, that that was supposed to be, the, you know, just something that was never questioned, never taken away, or never diminished. And we have to understand that we don't have to agree with people, but they have a right to say what they feel. I, and I, I think that, you know, we are, we are moving. I'm optimistic of the way we're moving. I think, you know, people do want to, um, people do want to express their freedoms. People, you know, love the freedoms they have. And so we're just going to have to, um, you know, basically get, get people involved. And I think there is a huge hunger I've noticed for it. And we, um, there are people want to be involved. The internet has provided so much more access for people. And so I hope that, you know, I, I think we can work together to make that change and build that up for just for, for a future that we can look at and, and be really, um, really kind of optimistic and proud of. And so I, it's something that I definitely think is within reach. And I really hope that we can kind of get that going with, um, Canon. Well, let me ask you something. How do the millennials feel, you know, your peers about freedom of speech? You know, I think it's something that every generation, no matter what, loves and cherishes. I think, you know, there has been, you know, some people, there's definitely been a little bit of change in what people view as free speech versus, you know, um, kind of I think people have felt that the whole thing that we can't yell fire needs to be expanded to um, a, a little bit more. I know we're towards the end of the show anyway, and I apologize to our audience for having so much technical difficulties. We do have a guest coming in the next yes. time in two weeks, correct? Do you want to tell the audience yes. about that? Yeah. So um, so we actually have a guest. He's been involved in a lot of um, smaller uh, smaller campaigns and stuff in Arizona. And he's a fantastic guy. His name's Clayton. And he's going to actually kind of give us his pers- uh, perspective on just the access to um, technology. Really, he's a guy who has really tried to get into politics, but he doesn't come from a political family. And so um, he doesn't come from really anyone who knows those kind of things. And so I think he'll be a really great, I would like, we can talk to him and kind of just get um, everyone kind of here. He's the younger guy, um, just about kind of, you know, how, how it looks from someone young who doesn't really know. The first, you know, he told me the first really president he really knew about was Trump. Um, and he's, you know, tw- he's 23. He says, you know, he obviously he knew who Obama was, but he didn't know anything about him. And the first time he ever really knew a thing about a president was Trump. And so I think that's kind of going to be a really, I'm really interested to talk to him. And I think he might mirror a lot of, um, a lot of younger people and how they feel about things. So I'm really excited for him. Um, and I, I hope everyone has a, just a great Memorial Day. I do apologize as well for the technical issues. Um, you know, we, uh, Next time, we're definitely, uh, we won't have these anymore. We'll be back on the computers, so. <laughs> yes, we will. And uh, I'll have to stick to the bigger cities and not to the rural areas. But, um, and which is a sad state of affairs, you know, that 
Internet cannot be accessible to everyone throughout the country, and so that's something the federal government should work on. But uh, besides that, being here with us and coming back and listening to us, and we hope you have a wonderful Memorial Weekend, and remember those who paid the price for our freedom. Yep. Uh, everyone have a, have a great one, and we uh, look forward to talking to you again. For now it's fine Waste of our time